Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. There's a story I told you once before, uh, but many of you didn't hear it. When um, when my grandma had passed, she had uh, left all of us a bunch of recipes, and she was a she was a hillbilly. Um, I mean, like she had she she knew that good country cooking, and if if you grew up with that, then you know those recipes are more valuable than gold. And she had made this this one recipe. It was like a it was like a, a beef kind of steak kind of combo thing that you would make in a in a crock pot, or hers was a big pot. And she had this recipe that she put down. It was my favorite thing to eat when I went over to her house. So I was excited to make it for my wife to let her have a little taste of my childhood. And man, I was so I was so intent on like making sure I get it all right. And I had the steak seasoned and cooking. And the the thing the recipe says is that you use the juices the 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 sauce that the steak has been cooking in, you use that to make your gravy to pour over the, the meat and the potatoes. And I was like, okay. And so I came to that portion of the recipe and it said, put in a pinch of flour to thicken up the, 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 the you know, the, whatever it is, the, the gravy, the drippings, whatever. And I said, okay, cool. Uh, I don't know what a pinch is. Um, that's, <laughs> You know, that's a little bit of like hillbilly math there. Like, eh, okay, I was like, that's a little bit. Okay, I was like, I'll just do that. Um, the thing is, the gravy didn't really thicken up. And, and I was like, okay. And so I, I was like, well, I'll put some more in. Maybe I just don't know how much is, is enough. So I put some more flour in there and, and it's just not thickening up. And I'm like, oh, man, I was like, maybe I just made too much of the original, you know, the juice, the broth. Maybe I used too much of that at the beginning. So I'm going to have to compensate and put a ton. So I'm just like putting a ton of flour in there and whisking it up. And it is not getting any thicker. And so finally I'm like, well, Maybe this is just how it is, and I just am, am remembering it wrong. So I take a spoon, and I taste the gravy, and it is disgusting. <laughs> what I found out that day is that, um, and good cooks will know this, there is a difference between flour and powdered sugar. <laughs> they look alike, but they are different. And sometimes... You are so convinced that the problem is one thing when the problem is something you've totally not even realized at all. Now, in the Bible, there shows up a problem, and this might be the most famous problem uh, that, that is, is represented in Scripture for people's memory. I don't think it is, but I think uh, most people, when they think of big problems, they think of the story of David and Goliath. And this, this problem presents itself, this problem named Goliath presents itself in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 3. It says, the Philistines, which are the bad guys, and the Israelites, which are the good guys, they faced off on opposite hills, so their armies come out and face each other with the valley between them. Verse 4, then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel, and he was over nine feet tall. <coughs> Excuse me. Over nine feet tall. This dude would have had a great NBA career. Big, big dude. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed over 125 pounds. This guy is so big and so strong, his armor alone was, was some people's body weight. Like, dude wore 125 pounds worth of armor. Very obvious... When he stepped out on the field, he was the problem. So whether it's 
Not being able to tell the difference between powdered sugar and flour, or whether it's a guy named Goliath. There are going to be problems we face, and I believe that many of us know right now, you know the big problem you're facing because you've been facing it for a long time. You, you've had an addiction that you've been struggling through for years now. Maybe it's a heartache. It's something from your past. Your giant isn't named Goliath. Your giant is, is hurt and something that happened to you when you were a kid or a loss that you've experienced. Your, your giant right now is, is the debt that you're under and the spending that you can't seem to get a control on. Maybe your giant problem today is your marriage or a relationship with someone you love where it's being torn apart or the bridge has been burned. Giants we can see, and then there's some of us in the room, it's you can't see the problem no matter what, and you just keep putting powdered sugar into your thing going, I've figured out it's a different problem, and your giant is invisible to you. Your giant, you've missed the mark. And so, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to ask you a question today, and through this series, I want you to answer this. Do you even recognize the giants that are in your life? Do you even recognize them? Some of you, you're here and you're like, yep, got it, Pastor John. I've got 12 giants, let's go. Or you're one big one or whatever. And some of you are sitting here going, I ain't got no problems. I don't have giants. Do you understand that? That's also how they work too. Satan's smart enough to put a big problem in your life that you just get accustomed to and don't realize what it's doing. Look what giants do. Watch what Goliath does if you continue on in that story, verse number eight. <coughs> Excuse me. Goliath stood and he shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I'm a Philistine champion, but you're just the servants of Saul. He's basically saying, you guys aren't even worthy to call yourself soldiers like I am. Choose one of your guys to come down here and fight me. If that guy kills me, then all of us Philistines will be your slaves. But if I kill that guy, then all of you guys have to be our slaves. He says in verse 10, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Got to understand, it's old school, but this is trash talking on, on, a, on a higher level. Here's, the, here's what it does. Here's the effect. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. See, if you're wondering what do giants look like in your life, let me give you three quick indicators that you can see from Goliath that are also going to be true in your life. First off, you see that giants in our lives are invasive. They, they are not wanted, but they show up nonetheless. The thing in your life that you may need to be dealing with, the thing in your life that God might be poking your heart about, may be something, a problem that's not named Goliath, but it is something that has invaded your life. It has gotten in the way. <clears throat> it has come where it's not supposed to be. It is a part of your life and it's not what God intended. Some of you can stop right now and you could, if you really ask the Holy Spirit, God, what would be the best thing for my family? You'll quickly see there is something in your family, something in your life, something in your habits, something in your day to day, something in your mindset that has invaded that is not from God. That's a giant. You know what else a giant does? A giant is invasive. It's also intimidating. Do you see what he does? You guys aren't even worthy to be soldiers. See, a giant makes you doubt what it is that God has put as a calling on your life. 
Those guys were soldiers. Those guys were there to fight. But all of a sudden, they're like, I don't want to fight anymore. See, a giant attacks your will, attacks your strength, attacks your determination. Some of you are facing a giant that has so intimidated you, you no longer believe that you can do what it is that you were called to do. God has something for you and you're not living in it because you've had a giant tell you that you can't do it. God's called you to be a light in your workplace, a witness to your spouse, a leader of your family, an influence to your friends, and yet you've been so intimidated because of your insecurity, because of a mistake you've made, because of some way you've fallen short, because of what they might say about you. You've been intimidated and you've stepped back from what it is that God has for you. Giants are also interfering. Here's what's what's crazy is every single one of these Israelite men had been told that God had promised them this land. They were to come and occupy, and for hundreds of years they've been fighting to occupy the promised land, the gift from God. God said, this is for you. And the giant shows up and says, no, this is for me. And they are standing there on the land that God had promised them, facing a giant who says this land is not theirs. And giants in your life will tell you that what God has for you, you don't get to have. What God's best for you doesn't exist for you. Because God has better for you, but a giant will show up and say, no, 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 that's not for you. That's not ground that you can have. That's not territory that you can own. And see why I'm so passionate, I'm so excited about this series, because I've been praying about this and thinking about this for months and months and months, because I think there's many of us that if we would just lean into what God's word has for us, we would see some big giants fall and we would be amazed at what it is that God actually has for us that we've been missing out on because of all these giants. So let me ask you, how does David, those of you that have grown up in church or heard the story of David and Goliath, how does the little shepherd boy David kill this giant named Goliath? Some of you, would say, "Ah, I know this, I know this. He gets a sling and a stone and he kills him. And you wouldn't be wrong. But let let me pose a different idea to you today in the little bit of time we have left. I don't think that it's a sling and a stone that kills Goliath. I believe that's, that's a small detail that God allows us to see, but Goliath is killed long before the stone and the sling And you can get a little hint at it if you go back to the story in chapter 17. Watch what happens. David, who is just a scrawny little teenager, if you don't know the story, he's just a teenager shepherd boy. He's not a soldier. His older brothers are soldiers, and he's told to go out to the battlefield to bring him lunch. And while he's visiting, he hears Goliath doing that big taunt. And it says in in Samuel 17, verse 26, David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get? for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel. It says that all the soldiers are standing there shaking. Goliath's so big. That giant is so low. No, we'll never face that giant. Here comes this punk teenage kid. Hey, is there a reward for shutting this guy up? What do I I get if I kill this giant? Now watch watch how we, we see his thought process. Who's this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Who's this punk think he is? Now, if you study the Bible, anytime that an author 
writes something and repeats it, he's trying to draw your attention to it. For it's an, it's an emphasis to make you go, oh, there's something unique here. If you jump down 10 more verses, they bring David to King Saul and say, hey, tell Saul you want to kill the giant. And Saul's like, you're too little. You can't kill the giant. And David starts telling him like, man, I've killed lions and bears when I was protecting my sheep. It'll be the same thing here. He says in verse 36, I've done this, meaning kill and attack, both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he's defied the armies of the living God. See how it's almost the same repeat of his thought process? He finishes by saying, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Did you see what David repeated twice that the author records for us? Letting us know how David thinks. Because see, David, David beat Goliath long before he threw a stone at him. Why? David goes, this pagan Philistine, if you have a different version of the Bible, it would say this uncircumcised Philistine. What is he saying? He's saying, this dude doesn't have a connection to God, and therefore he's already mismatched. David stood there and goes, this guy is on the wrong side of what the Lord wants, so I know he's in trouble. Hey, can one of you guys in the back, could one of you guys in the sound booth, could you just go get me a hot drink, either a tea or a coffee, please? The cold water's not gonna work for me today. And, and here's what I want you to understand. When, when David says, this is a pagan Philistine, David is explaining something that I hope that all of us will learn today. Write this down. All battles are spiritual battles. All battles are spiritual battles. David knew that what he was looking at, this imposing thing that was visible in front of him, that seemed like it was insurmountable, was nothing when you pushed back into the spiritual and you said, let me account for what's unseen right now. Let me remind you what the Bible says in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, the Bible says. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, your battle isn't against Goliath in physical form and, and what you think is this, this tangible problem in front of you. We're doing battle against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, meaning it's a spiritual battle against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Well, no, not me today, Pastor Josh. This message must be for somebody else. My problem's physical. My problem is is a, a family member that we're not talking anymore. You know that's a spiritual battle. No, Pastor Josh, my, my, my problem isn't, is, isn't physical. My problem is I, I have bills that are mounting up and my paycheck won't cover them. That's a physical, that's a tangible problem. That's not spiritual. I would argue it is. Pastor Josh, the doctors gave me a diagnosis that it doesn't look like there's much hope. Obviously, a physical problem with my body is exactly that. It's a physical problem. You know, that can also be a spiritual problem. Here's why this is so important. Here's what I want you guys to understand is that some of you are facing giants. And if this giant falls, this problem you have, but you don't ever take it to the spiritual. Whatever it is, fill in your blank, your, your addiction, your your marriage problems, your, your money problems, your, you know, your health problems. If you do that, thank you, Mike. Isn't Mike great? Mike. Thank you, buddy. If you find victory in these giants, but you don't do it by growing closer to God in the process, 
You've missed out on the whole thing. Maybe you and your spouse stopped sleeping in separate rooms. Yay, we won. No. No. See, what God wanted to do is he wanted to work in your heart and the fact that the two of you aren't servants loving and serving each other. The fact that you're sleeping in the same bed, that's, that's great, but that's not the big win. Do you understand that winning a battle without changing your heart isn't really a win? Nope. Hear me. Some of you are like, give me, the, give me the, the formula for killing giants. The real formula for killing giants is that it's a spiritual thing. God isn't mad at you. He doesn't hate you. God loves you. But the fact that he's allowed a giant in your life means that he knows that there's room for you to grow. And you're like, why does God just take the giant away? No, this is a chance for you to learn. Do you know that you can, you can overcome this debt that you're in and miss out on the spiritual battle, on the spiritual win? Because it's not just about God going like, oh, take my bills away, let me win the lottery. God might be trying to expose something in your heart that you spend too much because you have a love of materialism and you're putting your hope in a God that isn't him. You can answer a problem, you can kill a giant and still lose the, the, the bigger fight because God's doing this on a spiritual level to teach you something that maybe you haven't quite leaned into. Changing or winning a battle without changing your heart isn't really a win. Second Corinthians 5, 7. We have to live by believing and not by seeing. Another version would say it this way. Walk by faith, not by sight. All of the soldiers standing on that hill are walking by sight. Look how big Goliath is. Nine plus feet tall. We could never beat him one-on-one. -on -one. And see, David understands that you gotta be playing chess, not checkers. The devil's out there dangling a Goliath in front of you to show you how big Goliath is because you're operating on what's seen. And God says, why don't you operate on what's unseen? Goliath is this big compared to the giantness of God in your life. And when you start to see, oh, there's an invisible thing at play here. I don't have to be as intimidated. I don't have to be as frustrated. I don't have to be as scared. Now you begin to understand where it is that that David comes from. Well, Pastor Josh, they can't all be spiritual. They are. They are all spiritual battles that God can use a flat tire or a boss that doesn't appreciate you or a stubbed toe or something very, very serious as a giant to bring you closer to him, to bring glory to his name. Now, the giants scare you, and that's what frustrates you, but he says they don't have to. He says that in the middle of a battle, in the middle of facing the scariest, heaviest stuff, he can bring you a peace. Philippians 4, 7 says you will experience God's peace, which exceeds, which passes the ability of people to understand it. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. How do I have this kind of peace? How can I be a, a, a scrawny teenager shepherd standing on a battlefield filled with confidence and courage? Because your heart and mind is in Christ Jesus and you're seeing in the invisible world not just what your lost friends and neighbors and the culture around us sees in the visible world. Guys, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that our, our coworkers and our family members and our neighbors who don't have Jesus, that they're afraid of everything because they can only live in this seen world. They're watching the news and they're freaking out. But those of us that have Jesus Christ... If you've put your, your, your faith in a savior that's bigger than you, you're operating on a different level. And the peace that passes people's ability to understand, you stand up to a giant and they go, why is she so calm with all the crap that's going on in her life? How is he able, how is he able to still come into work 
and have that kind of good mood and spirit when, I, when he's going through all the crap he's going through. And the lost people begin to see a peace in you facing giants that they could never have. And that's how God opens up their mind to realize that maybe there's more than what they're seeing. That maybe you have something that they need and your ability to stand up and take down giants, not in your own power, but in the fact that you've put faith in God. The story of David isn't about how you and I become David. The story of David and Goliath is how God is so big, he can work through anybody. You guys are missing out. This is not about like, I've got to become a great giant slayer. You're never going to be a great giant slayer. Your God is the great giant slayer and you just got to get behind him. It, that, the peace that it's talking about is a spiritual peace that is manifested physically when you trust God. Do you remember Jesus on the boat during the storm? His disciples are veteran sailors and they start freaking out. Why? Because they're looking at what's seen. They see the waves and they feel the wind and they watch the lightning and the rain and they're like, this is it, we're dead. Where is Jesus? Doesn't he love us? And Jesus is so at peace. He's taking a nap. You can be at peace in a physically troubling, gigantic problem of a day if you know what's happening in the unseen, when you understand that there's more at place here. It depends, guys, on what you're looking at and what you're looking for when you look at these giants. Those Israelites stood on the battlefield and they looked out and they saw something that was nine feet tall ready to kill them. David saw something different. When I was uh, younger, my uh, buddy and I, a bunch of my friends, we went to like an amusement park and um, it was like a church thing and we we got lunch in one of those giant food courtyards where there's like a stall here and stall there and you can just sit at these tables and we had lunch and I'm sure it was super healthy. Uh, you know, french fries and chicken tenders and all that crap. And we eat and then we hurry up and we get done and we run and we get back in line for the next ride and we're standing in line about a half hour later and my buddy goes, oh no, I left my retainer. Ah! My mom's gonna kill me. And so we get out, we run back and, and, and obviously he had, he had had it on the tray and, and we just threw all the trash away. And he's like, oh man, he goes to the trash can, but it's a fresh bag. And he's like, where did the trash go? And the guy's like, well, it's, he had one of these push carts, had probably like 10 bags of trash in it. And he's like, it's one of those. And my buddy starts going through the trash, like, ah, and he's looking. And I mean, I was like, I love you, bud. I don't love you that much. Good luck. And after about 30 or 45 minutes, he's like, oh no, he's like, I can't find it, I can't find it. But his mom had come on that trip as a counselor, as one of the chaperones, which is every kid's dream. Um, <clears throat> but she had heard that we were, uh, something was going on. So she shows up and she's like, what's happening? What's going on? And he's like, mom, I'm so sorry. I've been looking everywhere. I can't lost my retainer. And he's like, she's like, you can't find it. He goes, no, I can't find it. I've looked everywhere. She goes over and she starts looking and in about five minutes, she finds it. And he's like, I've been looking forever. How could you find that, mom? And she goes, well, you were looking for a retainer. I was looking for $1,200. <laughs> she knew the value of it. She knew what she had cost her. And I said to say, it all depends what you're looking for will dictate how you handle the situation. If all you can see is what's visible, Satan will constantly discourage you and distract you. If you're if you're looking for more on this, on the idea of spiritual warfare, I preached a sermon series uh, about a year ago. What was it called? Unstoppable. I preached uh, a series called Unstoppable, and we went through the armor of God. If you want to go look that up in the archives, that might be a real encouragement to you. But for today's topic, let me, let me explain to you what it is that David sees. David sees this pagan Philistine, 
and he calls it out. He goes, this guy doesn't have the same God that we have. Our God made a covenant promise with us. And a covenant promise, Pastor uh, Tony Evans describes a covenant this way. It's a divinely ordained relational bond. A covenant is a bond that God puts between, between people or between himself and people. And it's, this, it's a divinely ordained relational bond. This is how God operates throughout scripture. He has a covenant with Abraham. He has a covenant with Isaac and with Jacob. He makes a covenant with David. He has a covenant with the people of Israel to bring them into that land. They had this, this promise from God. But the thing about a covenant relationship is it acts a little bit like an umbrella. I'm hoping you guys all know what an umbrella is. The umbrella is much like a covenant promise. For those of us here today, not in the Old Testament, we, we get an opportunity to have a new covenant. If you remember when we take communion, we, we talk about how Jesus says, hey, this bread and this wine, it's symbolic of a new covenant between me and my people that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you get a covenant bond where you're now adopted into the family of God and you not only get your sins forgiven, but you have a home in heaven one day. That's a new covenant relationship. So if you're here today or if you're watching today and you have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have, you have the covenant promise of God that you can have a home in heaven one day. But it works a lot like this. So I, I own this umbrella. I have the covenant bond. David and all of the men of Israel had the covenant bond from God that they were called to be in that promised land. And many of us as believers, we have Jesus Christ as our savior. So we have the covenant promise that we're going to heaven and we get to live in heaven for eternity with God one day. But a lot of us are tempted when giants come to take our get out of jail free card and then just do nothing. Now, let me, let me, let me help you imagine something. If we, were, if we were in here and it was raining, pouring rain, and I'm standing here and I was like, this rain is like a giant in my life. I'm just getting soaking wet. And it's a rain, it's not fair. Do you guys understand how tough my life is? The rain just keeps coming on, my clothes are getting wet, I'm just getting soaked. And I just say, it's not fair, my life sucks, it's the worst. Isn't it the worst? It's all this rain, the rain won't stop. You'd just be looking at me like, I think you have something for that. Here's the problem. How does an umbrella work? Hmm? The value of the umbrella is when I put myself under it. It does me no good to have it over here. Oh, the rain, oh, the giants in my life. Every man on that hill had a covenant promise from God that the promised land was for the Israelites. But only one of them looked at it and said, hey, I'm gonna put myself under God's blessing. I will, I, will, I, will, I will humble myself, subject myself. I will put myself right under God and trust in him more than I trusted everything else. And now I'm receiving the benefit. See, there's, there's, the, there's this incredible benefit, this legal benefit of having Jesus Christ is that you have heaven. But there's an extra benefit, a blessing of empowerment when you're surrendered to him. Thank you, Katie. When you are surrendered to God, you don't just have the legal benefit of heaven, you have the added benefit, a blessing of empowerment. I wanna, I wanna remind you, the Bible says in Hebrews 11:1, 1, faith shows us the reality of what we hope for, it's the evidence of things we cannot see. 
My faith has to be put in the fact that there is a God who is bigger than me and I will subject myself to that even though nobody else can see that. I'm gonna say, God, you're bigger. What do you have for me? I'm not just gonna have a, have a God who gets me into heaven one day. I'm gonna have a God that I live under him. And the question here is, do you trust Jesus with your eternity but not with your empowerment? Wrestle with that for a second. I'm going to heaven. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. You're just like the other soldiers. I'm standing in the promised land. Cool. But is that keeping you from fighting the giants? Because God's called you to do more than that. God's called you to be bigger than that. It says, it says that not everybody lives in this empowerment. If you're sitting there going, well, I'm saved, so I'm the same as everybody else. Not everybody who has Jesus is the same and is operating under the empowerment. It says that when Jesus, in John chapter 2, verse 22, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, look at this, John 2, 23, many believed in his name when they saw all the signs that he was doing. Many believed. But look at the next verse. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was really in their heart. They, they believed, but they weren't getting empowered. They were not going to get all of what it was. Now, you can have heaven and still spend the rest of your life here on earth cowering from giants. You don't have to. But what I'm arguing is that you may be missing out on some stuff. Do you know what Romans says in chapter 8, verse 37? Yet in everything that we would face, and, and it gives a whole list of crap that comes, trials and obstacles and oppression, it says in face of all of that, yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you understand that that means not only do you win in the end? God's already said, look at the scoreboard. I will give you a prophetic word. This is the scoreboard at the end. God wins. Jesus defeated death on the cross. Game over. He wins. Satan knows he's fighting a losing battle. But he's going to do everything he can to score as many points as he can before then. And you'd be like, well, it doesn't matter. We win in the end, so I'm just going to sit back and not fight. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the battle to say, I'm scared. It's a lot. It's going to cost me a lot. I'm going to try to coast through my earthly life because I already know I got heaven. I know we win. So I'll just let Satan have as much ground and score as many points as he wants here on earth because we win in the end. Yeah, except for those points that he's scoring are some of the people that you love. Those are coworkers and classmates, neighbors and friends and family members. And the Christian's unwillingness to step into battle is not, a, is, is not a reflection of how big God is. It's a reflection of how big they think God is. And it shows that they're really more afraid than they are faithful. And this is what's sad is because God's placed us here and he says, I've created this mechanism for us to rally the armies, the spiritual armies together and I'm gonna call it the local church. And then Jesus looked and he said, and the gates of hell can't stop that army. Do you understand though that, that, puts, that puts a requirement on those of us that claim the name of Jesus to not cower in front of giants? Satan will, will put a giant there to make sure that you have all the intimidation and interference that you need to keep you from God's best. And yet, God says, you're more than conquerors. I don't want you to just win. You know what it means to do more than win? It means dominate. 
It means that Satan doesn't have to have a stranglehold in your family. Satan doesn't have to have the, the workplace there so toxic. You can be a light. You can be salt. You can, you can bring in the one thing that David knew was bigger than a giant, which is God. And it's not about David. It's not about you. It's just about the willingness to say, hey, I want to see what God can do if one person, just one person has more faith than fear. Can you believe? I don't think we understand the, the power the power of God and what it would look like unleashed in our families, in our marriages, in our schools, in our homes, in our workplaces. That's why we spend most of the time complaining, worried, angry, anything but boldly living like David did. Look at what happens. David replied to the Philistine in 1 Samuel 17, 45. You come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. I love this skinny little boy standing out on the battlefield, looking up the nine foot something giant, goes, You're going to die today. Talk about trash talking. He says, I'm going to cut off your head, and then I will give your dead bodies of the men behind you and all your, all your boys, your whole entourage. Y'all going to die today. He doesn't do it saying it's about him. Notice he never mentions a slingshot or a stone. He says, I'm going to give the bodies of the birds, the wild animals, and the whole, whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And then he says, everybody assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, not with a sword and a spear or a sling and a stone. The fact is, this whole battle is already the Lord's, and he will give it to us because we know we win in the end. And if I know we win in the end, then I cannot just be a winner. I can be more than a conqueror. And now watch this. This is important. As David moved closer to, or sorry, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. If you want to get something out of the next couple of weeks as we start tackling giants, and I'm excited to start tackling some specific giants, I think you need to adopt this personality of David. If you read about the, the lion and the bear, he has the same mentality. I'm going to run. I'm going to run at the problem. He runs at Goliath. He runs at the giant. All the rest of the soldiers are taking a step back. And David's like, no, let's go. Like, you know, huh? I'm excited to watch you fall. I'm excited to watch what God's going to do next. And he runs at the problem. Do you understand that God has called us to be offensive, not defensive-minded when it comes to the spiritual? When I said that, that Jesus, Jesus promised that the gates of hell couldn't stop us, what Jesus is saying is that hell is defensive. Hell is trying to defend all of the people that are going to spend eternity there. And it's our job to go in and say, hey, you don't have to go to hell. Jesus provided a way for you out of here. And the gates of hell can't stop us from doing that. But we stop ourselves because we're like, I'm so intimidating and I have so many problems and things are so tough. No, 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 no. You need to understand this when it comes to your personal life, when it comes to the big spiritual battles, when it comes to what God has called our church to do in our our communities. Understand this. Giants aren't going to fall if you're staying on the sidelines. David had to be willing to step out. It's not about how great David is. Don't misunderstand. This is not, has nothing to do with your greatness. 
this has everything to do with the willingness to step out and watch what God will do. God has the power the whole time. He's just waiting for one of his children to trust him enough to activate the power. You guys know what a motion detector is? We have them here at the church because some of you are bad at turning off lights. We're trying to save money. Do you know how they work? They will wait for movement before they engage the power. No movement, no power. No movement, no power. It's not that God doesn't have the power, that he's waiting for a servant faithful enough to step off of the sidelines and go, I'll fight the giant. Let me tell you what the Bible says. This is one of my favorite verses, Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. What God is saying is that if you will step out in faith and represent me as my ambassador, when you move, I move and I got your back. Take a giant and I got your back. Step out and I got your back. Read scripture. God always does the miracle, but he always is looking for an act of obedience, a a step of faith. First, you and I stand on the sidelines cowering, God, kill the giant, and then I'll trust you. God goes, no, no, I brought the giant up here to get you to take a step out of your comfort zone so that you can grow in trusting me. Now, that giant's going to be there till you learn to step out. You don't move, there's no power. Don't just listen to the word of God. You can sit here and hear this whole message. But James 1.22 says, don't just listen to the word of God. Be a doer. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself. You can come and hear this whole series. And we're going to talk about how giants can fall. And you will miss out on it in your personal life if all you do is hear this and then don't put it into practice. The way this works, and Psalms gives us a little indicator it says in Psalms 25, 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. He will show them his covenant. What does this verse say? God's got secrets. Now, God has given us a ton right here in his word. You got all of this right here. And then God says, now if you walk with me and you get real close to me, I'll whisper stuff in your ear that you wouldn't get otherwise. I will tell you some things. I will poke your heart. I'm not saying it will never, by the way, it'll never contradict scripture. But God says, when you walk with me, I'll direct your steps. I'll help you find what it is, but you're only gonna find this direction walking with him. This this David-like empowerment comes when you put yourself under the covenant. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you have to actually go out of your way to trust God with all of your heart and not lean on your own understanding. You can't lean on what you do. You have to put yourself under that covenant and say, humbly, what what do you have? And when you crawl up close to God, he whispers in your ear. He says, hey, this is how it's going to work. I got you. You can be at peace. I got you. And you will, your closeness with God will allow you. The rest of the verse says, That if in all your ways you acknowledge him, he'll direct your path. He'll give you the steps to take. But if you're standing on the sidelines afraid, it's because you're not close to him. When I was a little kid, my family went to a pond 
I'm the middle of five. I think there was only three of us at the time. I don't think my younger brothers were born because I, I think I was probably two or three. So I was just a little kid and we're feeding ducks. But then this goose showed up. Have you ever been around geese? They look pretty in cartoons, but they're vicious. You ever see the teeth on a goose? Like, they're called, they're called chicken cobras. Like, that's what they look like. And this goose did not like me. And it started flapping its wings and it got so big to little Josh. This thing was a giant. It was just, and I, I mean, it freaked me out. And I remember I just rest fast like, dad, dad, I run. And I was just going to grab on his leg, but he just scooped me up. And I just grabbed, you know, and my dad just stood there comforting me. And, I was, ah! and then after a second, I was like, ah! aren't you, aren't you scared? And then I noticed my dad wasn't scared of the goose. But then I noticed my, the goose was scared of my dad. And the goose was like, ah. And then all of a sudden, as I, as I noticed that, I just got real brave. And I was like, let me ask you, what changed? What changed? Same little boy, same big scary goose. The difference was I'd gotten a lot closer to my father. And see, when you curl up in your father's arms... Now you begin to see giants for what they are. Nothing. A whole lot of fluff and intimidation that does nothing to your dad. Now us on our own trying to make it through our day, we're gonna struggle. But if we get close, close to our father, that's when we're gonna start seeing giants fall. Will you stand with me? Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to Close your eyes and have a moment of prayer. And as you do that, give a little privacy to the people around you. Don't look around. Close your eyes and have a moment between you and God. And let me ask you, are you in his arms? Are you in his arms today? Or are you trying to face some giants on your own? Today, would you simply be honest between you and God? Would you simply be honest between you and God and, and, and say, God, am, am, I, am I running away from a fight that you've called me to stand up to? Have I been intimidated and invaded and interfered with by a giant that has no place in my life? Maybe it's something new. Maybe it's something that's been creeping in and growing recently. Or maybe it's something that's been there for years. But today, God's saying, hey, I, I'm the God who makes giants fall. I'm the God who can move mountains if you'll put your faith in me. Is God challenging you today to do a little bit more than just, than just come to church and go back home? Is God calling you today to put your faith in him and to step out, step off of the sideline and say, no more will this giant be in my life. No more by the power of God will this thing intimidate, will this thing impose on my family? Will this thing continue to corrupt and interfere with God's best for me at work or at school or with my relationships. Today, I'm going to start seeing giants fall. If that's your prayer, would you just simply talk to God, ask him to help? Tell him you're sorry for the, the ways you've been cowering. Tell him you're sorry for the ways you haven't trusted him. He already knows. Confess it and then ask for help moving forward. And while there's people praying I know that there's some of you under the sound of my voice, you, you don't have the covenant relationship to come under. 
You don't even have the umbrella. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have a God to, to hold close to. You, you've just got yourself. In the quiet of this moment, would you be honest enough to say, I need Jesus. I need a relationship. I need a home in heaven. First and foremost, most important decision you'll ever make. And then once you've done that, then you can start asking God to, to empower you to take on these, these day-to-day challenges and these big giants. But you have to have Jesus first. You'll never have that power until you fully accept that he is the only one that should be God of your life. If you would move out of the driver's seat and surrender control today, the Bible says that if you would repent of your sin and confess that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and the only way to have forgiveness, that he'll save you. He'll cleanse you. He'll give you a home in heaven. And then you have the opportunity to tap into that power that we talked about, to move forward on the battlefield. But it all starts with what you do in your heart. As I pray, you pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come to you and we thank you. We ask for this in your name. We ask that giants would fall. We ask, Lord, that strongholds would be broken. We ask that general, generational curses would be lifted. God, we ask that there be people in this room that would finally push back against the things that have intimidated them for so long. God, for some of the people under the sound of my voice, they have a giant in their life that they weren't even aware of. They, they've been falling so far short of your best, they didn't even realize it could be better. But today, you've begun to show them that you have better for them than what they've been living in. So God, I pray that today, that all of us would hold close to you, that we would curl up in your arms, that we would be so close that we could hear the whisper of your secrets, that you would pour, pour into us, God. Give us, Lord, the, the strength and the courage. Maybe it's forgiveness, maybe it's peace. God, help us to know that you're the God who's always faithful, that you're always there, and that we can rely on you. We ask this and we pray this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.